I love that. We could just about go home now. It's one of my favorite, favorite videos. I love the way they communicate that. So I wanted you guys to see that. The gospel is good news for absolutely everyone, no exceptions. The gospel is a gift. It's the gift. The gift. And if it doesn't feel like a gift to either the giver or the recipient, then I agree with our friends at Ren Collective, who are my favorite like band, by the way. They're an amazing musical group if you don't know who they are. But I agree with them. If it doesn't seem like good news, we're maybe telling it wrong. I was listening to a podcast earlier in the weekend with um, Richard Rohr, who is somebody that I absolutely love, absolutely love Richard Rohr. Um, he was talking about this very thing. And he, he was speaking of the way that we communicate the gospel to other people. And he said something to the effect of, if you have to get there by doing everything right, that's actually bad news. On the other hand, if you can get there by doing everything wrong, that's the real good news. That's the real good news. If you earn it, it's a paycheck, it's not a gift. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks here talking about what it means to accept this gift for ourselves and what it looks like to offer it to others. And I, I think the best place to start is with Scripture. I think Scripture is always a good place to go when we're looking for wisdom about things. So I want you guys to be turning to uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages on this topic, the topic of evangelism, of sharing our faith, of spreading the gospel, whatever we want to call this, whatever terminology. It's one of my favorite passages because this is so simple, so simple. And I think that we are in desperate need of simple in a lot of areas of our life. This certainly isn't the only area of faith that we overcomplicate and we over-spiritualize, but boy, it's one of the big ones. How do we communicate what it means to us that we belong to God, and how do we communicate to other people that everyone is invited to the party? This is Paul's take on it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Uh, we're going to read quite a bit here. I am a fan, if you don't know this already, I'm a fan of big blocks of scripture because we need context. We need context. We are oftentimes too quick to lift a single verse out of its passage, out of the spot in which it is anchored in scripture, and we build an entire life philosophy around something. It matters that we know the point of the whole section of scripture, the whole book or the whole letter, and, and in fact of the whole storyline of the whole Bible. It matters because it changes the way that we view that and the way that we understand that. So bear with me. We're going to read quite a bit. Um, it, you can, you know, maybe you brought your Bible with you. If you don't have a paper Bible, um, we have those over in the windowsill. If you're old, old soul like me who really likes to turn pages and you know, smell paper, we have those for you. The rest of you whippersnappers, you can use your device on the Wi-Fi if you would prefer, or uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Verse 11 says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. And we have to pause before we go on after that particular verse, because we have to make note of the word, uh, the word fear in this passage. That word that's translated fear in the Greek is one of those words that just doesn't easily and simply translate into English. 
When we hear the word fear, we think of a particular thing, and that's not necessarily that in its entirety here. Uh, theologian Robert Strimple, talking about this word, he said in, in, this, in this term, in this Greek word for fear, there is the convergence, which is an amazing word, I think, in and of itself, like convergence, like everything all together connected of awe, reverence, adoration, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, love, and yes, fear. And so really it struck me when I was reading this and I was reading some of the commentaries and things, that word fear, it contains within it every aspect of being in a healthy and right relationship with somebody that loves you and somebody that you love. A healthy and right relationship will have all of the aspects of that word fear in it. And that includes our relationship with God. So what would change for us and those around us if we lived our life out of that understanding? Our motivation for sharing our faith is that we have a true understanding of who God is, says Paul. And that is why we try to persuade others. So continuing in verse 11, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. John Wimber used to say, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. For him who died for them and was raised again. So verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God. It's from God who reconciled us to himself. That phrasing is very important there. Reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God who made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Righteousness is just right in being. We are right with God because of what Jesus has done. So there's a lot here. That's, that's, a, that's a rich passage. There's a lot here. We're going to break it down just a little bit. First of all, 
First of all, we need to know this. You did not earn the gift. You did not earn the gift. Verse 12 says, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you. All this, in verse 18, is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Who was doing the reconciling in that verse? Who's the active person in that verse? This is, we're a participating church here. You can shout it out if you know. God, that's always a safe answer in church. Jesus. None of us are in because we deserve to be in. Right? We're only in because we were fortunate enough to have stumbled across the truth that we were invited. And some of us have stumbled around quite a bit before we got here. Quite a bit. I don't know how it was for you. I don't know how it was for you, but for me, I was so overwhelmed with, with gratitude and relief when I finally figured out that what I was was plain to God, as Paul says in verse 11, that he knew everything about me, everything, even the stuff that I would never want any of you to know about, that I would be embarrassed, that I would be ashamed if you knew, things that I was afraid of and things that I participated in. But in spite of those things that God knew all about, he held out the gift of his love and his acceptance to me. And rather than using those things as a reason to reject me, that's not what God does, that's not what he did. He wanted to heal me from the things that were hurting me. He wanted to make me whole. Help me untangle myself from the things that I was in bondage to. And so for me, I was acutely aware of that when I finally chose to stop running and turn around and run into those open arms. And I had no illusion, none, that I had any reason to feel a shred of pride. A long, a long time vineyard pastor that I really respect, his name is Danny Myers, and he wrote a teaching that was just one of like two or three things that I would say were the most transformative kind of set of teaching that I've experienced in my life. It's called uh, Gospel of Wholeness, and I just love it. But in that teaching, uh, Danny tells a story of this beautiful tradition in his childhood. Um, his grandfather used to come and visit them, and, and Grandpa would take the train when he would come to visit. And so Danny describes being a child, maybe somewhere around the age of you know, 8 to 10, somewhere in that range, and they'd go to pick up Grandpa at the station, and every single time, the first words out of Grandpa's mouth were, what have you got in your pocket, Danny? What's in your pocket? And Danny would scramble around, and he'd dig down deep and, and, and try to find what was in there and you know, pull out whatever an eight or 10-year-old boy has, and there's like a paper clip and a you know, candy wrapper, maybe a little ball of lint or whatever it was, a rock, hopefully not too many living creatures. <laughs> but he'd, he'd pull out whatever was in there, and he'd hold it out to his grandpa and show him. And grandpa would say, I've got something in my pocket too. Do you want to trade? And Danny would say yes. He would always say yes because he knew that what was in Grandpa's pocket was something really cool like a piece of candy or a little bit of money or a small toy or something like that. 
And, and, and Danny Myers, he compares this, this game he would play with his grandfather as the exchange that we make with God. We bring God whatever kind of nonsense and crap and brokenness and, and hurt and pain and baggage. We, we bring whatever's in our pocket and we hold it out. We offer God our little ball of lint. And he says, you want to trade? And in exchange, he gives us his love. He gives us his acceptance, purpose, healing, belonging, a family. We know who's getting the better end of the deal. And he knows who's getting the better end of the deal. But that's not the point, is it? It's not the point. We're not earning anything. We're not earning it. That's what makes it a gift. So guess what that means? Guess what else that means? Others don't have to earn the gift either. They don't. We humans, oh my word, we love grace. We love grace when it's directed at us. But when we're asked to extend it to other people, suddenly we come up with a set of terms and conditions that would rival any that, that Bill Gates and Apple ever came up with. No, says Paul, no. Because Jesus died for all, verse 16, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and he's giving us the ministry of reconciliation. Which means that God was reconciling himself, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, the ministry and the message of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means the gift was meant to be shared. Verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative. They communicate the wishes of the one that they represent, and their conduct reflects on the one that they represent. God is making his appeal. He is offering his gift to others through us. We're his ambassadors, his representatives. And reconciliation is an interesting word. It, it, it carries with it, there's some accounting connotations to this word. Um, so in the ancient times, back when I was younger in the ancient times, we, we, we used to do this thing, it was called reconciling your checkbook. And, and for those of you who don't know, checks, they were these, these little pieces of paper you could give to the bank to tell them you wanted them to pay money for somebody else. Some of you, you know, you're used to Apple Pay and Google Wallet or whatever all those things are, but reconciling our checkbook. We would do our very best to write down notes about who we wrote checks to 
so that we wouldn't run out of money at the end of the month. But most people, well, maybe not most people. I don't want to lump you guys in with me. I wasn't ever very good at my checkbook register. That's why Vince does our budget. But once a month, the bank would send a statement. They, they would send their printout of all the checks that somebody had turned in. And, and you would have to check to see if their statement matched your statement. Were they in agreement? That's how you reconciled your checkbook. Did our record match their record? Did they agree? Did we agree about what had been paid and what was owed? And that matters here, doesn't it? It matters when it comes to our faith that we agree with God about what has been paid and what is owed. And the answer is that everything has been paid. Everything and nothing is owed. Jesus took care of all that. That was the point of that whole thing. But do we agree with God when he says that is true? Do we, do we believe it for ourselves? Do we, do we apply that same truth to other people? Does our statement match his? And just like back in the old days, if my checkbook didn't match what the bank said, guess whose statement trumped? <laughs> if, if we disagree with God on this, we are the ones that need to adjust our record. Reconciliation has another definition. This is straight off a Google search, right? And it's not like I didn't dig out the Greek dictionary for this or anything. Straight off a Google search. But I, I love it, and it was perfect. And as soon as I saw it, I got really excited. Reconciliation. The restoration of friendly relations. The restoration of friendly relations. It's that simple. We are called to help people restore friendly relations with God. That's evangelism. That's that big, scary, churchy word. That's spreading the gospel. That's sharing the good news. That's sharing the gift. They don't, they don't know. Do you guys know that? People think... The message that they've gotten from the church is that God is mad at them, that God hates them, that who they are isn't good enough for him. They need to get their act together, and then maybe you know they'll be good enough to come in our, our doors without the place falling down. I still hear people say that. I invite people to church, and they say, oh, no, I can't come. Probably get struck by lightning if I come. You don't want that. Ugh. Friendly relations. Now, listen, listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, if you're sleeping, wake up, you know, and you can check out after I just make this next statement. I want you to hear this. I am convinced, I am convinced with every fiber of my being that the very best way to help people restore friendly relations with God is to invite them into friendly relations with us with us. That's what it means to be his ambassador, to be his representative, to show people what it looks like. 
how it's supposed to feel, to be invited, to be included, to be reconciled. He is making his appeal through us. And that's, that's a huge part of the why, you guys, about, about our, our St. Pat's hot dog giveaway. It's a huge part of the why. It's just friendly relations, not regarding anyone from a worldly point of view, seeing people as God sees them. And what does God see? He sees every single one as a beloved child with whom he wants to share the gift of himself. And we have a choice in this matter. There's a choice here. We can choose to be stingy, hoard the gift for ourselves. We can choose to be exclusive, uninviting, superior, and judgmental. The problem with that is that we have no right. We have no right to posture ourselves that way. We didn't earn a thing, and we don't deserve a thing. I think the better choice is to share the gift freely. To communicate to those around us that God is not counting their sins against them. They are loved. And thank God we all are. I'm glad that God doesn't count my sins against me. Nothing magical happened to my humanity when I became a follower of Jesus. It didn't mean that suddenly I had everything together and I'd never mess up again. I need him every day. Every day. They're invited. They're included. They're welcome. All of us are. We give hot dogs to the falling down drunk college kids and to the straight-laced marching band kids. We give hot dogs to the street preachers with their awful signs, too. It's hard for me to smile at them. At Ian. Heck, we give hot dogs to dogs <laughs> and sometimes horses. It's just a lot of fun because in this very small and very simple way, we're trying to communicate a really important message really important message that there's room at God's table for anyone who wants to be there. The gift is for everybody. We didn't earn it. Nobody else has to earn it, and it's meant to be shared, and it's meant to be shared freely and joyfully. I was thinking... As I've been getting ready for this series, um, here's just, just some honest musings of a person who doesn't have all the answers. When I was a kid, like conversion was a really simple thing. It was a, it was a simple thing. You, uh, you, you, know, you, went, you went to the altar, the front of the room, and you, and you prayed a, a very specific prayer, and it had very specific pieces in it, and you couldn't forget any of the pieces because otherwise... 
you know, if you leave something out, I, don't, I guess it doesn't stick or whatever. And, you know, I, I've, I've had those experiences of going to the altar and praying the sinner's prayer. We call it, God, I need you. I want you to come into my heart. I, you know, renounce my sins and I want to have what you want to have. And we, we have a little bit more nuanced understanding of what conversion is. We, we understand that um, to be saved, that, that verse in scripture, that, that uh, the word uh, for saved and healed is, is sozo, and it, it carries this um, tense with it that it's like you, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. It's like past, present, and future. It's, it's a process that's never, never completed. And so some of the issue with you know, thinking that you can just pray a prayer and you step over the line and then you're good to go. It doesn't communicate to people that we're following Jesus everywhere for the rest of our lives. Like this is a daily, moment by moment choice that we have to follow him. But there's also value in those moments, in those, in those crossroads moments, in that line in the sand place where we say, you know, I'm gonna mark time from this moment from before and after this moment because something has happened. There has been an exchange with God. And I'm still not sure how that works out in corporate church life because we don't do come to the altar, every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your hand if you want to be saved. We don't, we don't do it that way, but how do we do it and still be real, be authentic, acknowledge that Faith is a process, but also have those moments that are, are so meaningful where we put up those boundary stones. And so I'm just putting that out there for you guys to think about. And I want to pray this morning, and I want to invite you just in your seat to yourself, inside yourself, whether you've been coming here for 8 million years, whether this is your first Sunday, whether you would say, yes, I, I decisively know that I am a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and I can tell you the date and the time at which that happened. You know, wherever you're at, whatever space you're in about that, I want us to pray, and I want to invite you, if there is a way in your life where you can identify, I have not accepted this gift, and I want to, there is something God is offering to me that I want to accept. I want to cross a line this morning and say yes to something that God is offering. Then I, I want to invite you to do that. And we're not going to do a repeat after me or anything like that. But I'm just saying there are those moments in life when sometimes it is important to have a clear boundary And it's not a function of whether you're outside or you're in. That's an important part. There, there's not, it's not a matter, of, a matter of saying that you will do something God wants so that you can be worthy and you can be accepted. You are worthy and you are accepted. He loves you. He keeps you. It's important to know that. So I'm just going to be quiet for just a moment, and I'll invite you guys to just relax and close your eyes, and I'm, I'm just going to be quiet for a minute, and, and, and then I'll pray. I just want to give some space to listen to what God has to say. 
and just help us connect with him this morning. So don't be nervous that I'm going to be quiet here for just a moment.